0: Last week, we saw how Jesus used his authority, uh, his divine God-given authority. We saw how Jesus used his authority to teach God's word, to silence the demons, to heal the sick. Thank you, David. He used his authority to heal the sick and to resist the public pressure, the clamor from the crowd to control his agenda
1: and change his priorities at the end of chapter 4. understandably the people of
0: Capernaum did not want Jesus to leave chapter 4 verse 42 but Jesus said didn't he I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also because that is why I was sent and he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea he was sent by God to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God not just in Capernaum but all round Israel But Jesus did not just preach in the synagogues or in the temple in Jerusalem. He taught the word of God wherever the people gathered around him. He did not need a pulpit or a lectern or a church building to preach the good news. He sometimes taught and preached on the hillside in the mountains. And sometimes, as we read here, by the seaside, by the shores of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Lake of Gennesaret chapter 5, verse 1. And we read in verse 1 that the people were crowding around Jesus, pressing in on him. They were eager and keen to hear the word of God. And that's a sure sign of the work of the Holy Spirit. People who are keen to hear the word of God, to hear what God has to say to them, and, and keen to be as close to Jesus as possible.
1: And does that describe you and me this morning? May it be so, may it be so, Lord, for all of us.
0: The crowds are pressing in on Jesus. But then we see what uh, William Hendrickson has called the practical wisdom of Jesus. In verses 2 and 3, the practical wisdom of Jesus. Jesus saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. Jesus got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. And then he sat down, which was the traditional teaching position, uh, the seated position. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Jesus' practical wisdom so that people could see him more clearly and hear him more easily. Practical wisdom to to avoid the pressure of the crowd so that he didn't fall into the sea. And here's a question for us, for me, perhaps in particular, but for all of us as a church. Are we flexible enough and practical enough in our wisdom to change something when something needs to change? If people are to hear the word of God more effectively here in the 21st century. It's one reason why we record the word of God, why when we're able, we live stream it and it's available. So we use the different ways we can to get the word of God out there to where the people are. Now, we know from this gospel and we know from the other gospels that Jesus already knew Simon and Simon Peter already knew something of Jesus. But at this point, he was still in the business of fishing along with the crew, the companions mentioned in verse 9, and along with his business partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee. And they've just had a long, fruitless or fishless night, a night of hard work when they had caught nothing. And now they are washing their nets, getting them ready for the next trip, which came sooner than expected. For when Jesus had finished speaking, verses 4 and 5, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, term of respect, Master, we've worked hard all night. We've toiled and sweated all night and haven't caught a thing. But because you
1: say so, at your word, Jesus, I will let down the nets. If the opening verses
0: show us Jesus' practical wisdom, these verses show us Jesus' apparent foolishness, his apparent foolishness. Here is a carpenter, carpenter, we showed the map earlier. Here is a carpenter from landlocked Nazareth, hilly Nazareth, telling a seasoned fisherman how to do his job. And not only that, it's now in the middle of the day when the fish are hiding in the shadows from the sunlight. It's not a good time to go fishing. And not, not only that, I'm told that most of the fishing, even today, most of the fishing in the Sea of Galilee takes place in the shallower waters near the edges of the shore. But Jesus says to Simon Peter, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Imagine me telling Andy Murray how to play tennis or Ronnie O'Sullivan how to play snooker or Mary Berry, How to Bake Cakes. And they would say, rightly so, who is this character? Who does he think he is? But in this gospel story, of course, it's not me giving the order, it's Jesus. And Simon Peter has already seen something of Jesus in action, hasn't he? He's heard Jesus teaching in the synagogue. He's seen him Heal the demon-possessed man in the synagogue. He's seen him under his own roof, healing his mother-in-law and many others when the sun went down. So, Simon says, what does Simon say? Simon says, because you say so, Master, at your word, literally, at your word, I will let down the nets. I will come back to this very briefly at the end when I sum up with three bullet points at the end. But notice that Simon's response to the command of Jesus, to the word of Jesus, is one of trust and obedience. Trust and obedience. Yes, he has reservations. He has misgivings. He says, we've worked hard. We've toiled and sweated all night and haven't caught anything.
1: But because you say so, because you say so, Jesus, at your words, I will let down the nets. Trust
0: and obedience even to the apparent foolishness of the Lord's command. And let me ask you, as I ask myself, when was the last time you and I did something apparently foolish because of the words of the Lord's? Now, we have to be cautious here, don't we? And Dale Ralph Davis rightly cautions us here. Because something appears to be foolish, that doesn't mean it is automatically from the Lord. Some things appear foolish because they are foolish. And there's a sad story in recent days from Kenya, from a church called the Good News International Church. And it's a good name for a church. could even be ours, Good News International Church. But the pastor there has told the people of the church, if you want to meet Jesus, you've got to starve yourself. And dozens of people have starved themselves to death. And they're digging up dozens of bodies in a forest
1: near Melindi on the coast of Kenya. Most things, most things that appear foolish are foolish. In that case, also wicked but having said that bearing that word of caution in
0: mind the challenge to us remains from simon peter are we prepared to trust and obey the lord when his commands his commands not a kenyan pastor's commands or my commands but when his commands appear foolish either to us or to our family or to our friends to our work colleagues to the world around us now I have to say, it will probably not be a command to go fishing in the middle of the day. I don't expect a word of the Lord to come to David teaching in Glen Urquart, and say, David, I want you to go fishing in the middle of the day. It's not likely to be that command. But how about this command, which is from Jesus and the word of God? Sell your
1: possessions and give to the poor. Luke 12, verse 33. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Store up treasure in heaven,
0: where moths do not destroy, where no thief comes near, and no inflation will eat it
1: away either. Now let me ask you, is that foolishness or is that wisdom? Well, to the world that is foolishness. It appears foolish. But that is wisdom.
0: To store up treasure in heaven where the moths and the rust and the thieves
1: cannot get at it, where in flesh and cannot eat it away. Sell your possessions and give to the poor.
0: Well, what happens when Simon Peter trusts and obeys Jesus' word, even with his reservations, even with his misgivings? Here's the question. Is, is God any man or woman's debtor? Never. Look at verses six and seven. When they had done so, what had they done so? When they had obeyed Jesus' word and let down the nets, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. And so they signaled to their partners in the other boat, James and John's boat may even have still been on the shore. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so
1: full that they began to sink. It's worth just using our imaginations there to
0: try and picture the scene, broad daylight out in the deep water, in the still waters of the Sea of Galilee, not expecting to catch a thing, probably most of them, and then that, an overwhelming haul of fish. And if we have seen Jesus' practical his practical wisdom and then his apparent foolishness, here we see his powerful authority over the world of nature, but also the world of work, his authority over the
1: world of nature, but also over the world of work.
0: Here is the king of creation who knows where the fish are. Here is the son of Adam. Do you remember how Luke calls Jesus the son of Adam in his family tree? Here is the son of Adam who, in the words of Genesis 1, verse 28, rules over the fish in the sea. Here is someone who knows how to do Simon's job better than Simon himself. Jesus with powerful authority over the world of nature and the world of work. It's not something that King Charles could ever do, at least not in his own name or by his own power. It's not something that King Canute could ever do. You know the story of King Canute. He is a real historical figure. He was king of uh, England in 1016 and also king of Norway and Denmark. And King Canute is often seen as someone foolish, you know, someone who tried to, to do the impossible to hold back the, the incoming tide of the sea as it rolled in. But many believe that Canute wasn't trying to be God, but actually the opposite. He was proving that he wasn't God. He was proving to his fans and his followers that he was just an ordinary man. That's why he took the chair and set it down at the seashore and commanded the seas and the waves not to wet his feet. And we have a historical account from the early 12th century. So it's very near the time of Canute. This is from Henry of Huntingdon, the account from the early 12th century. When Canute was at the height of his ascendancy, the height of his power, he ordered his chair to be placed on the seashore as the tide was coming in. Then Canute said to the rising tide, you are subject to me. I command you, therefore, not to rise onto my land, nor to wet the clothing or the limbs of your master. But the sea came up as usual and drenched the king's feet and shins. So, jumping back, the king cried, Let all the world know that the power of kings is empty and worthless, and there is no king worthy of the name except him by whose will heaven, earth, and the sea obey eternal laws. You see what Knut was doing there? He was saying, let all the world know that the power of kings is empty and worthless, that there is no king worthy of the name of king. Save him, except him, by whose will heaven, earth, and the sea obey eternal laws. What king is worthy of the name? Only the King who is Lord of heaven and earth, the Lord of sea and sky, the God who has come to us in Jesus with
1: authority over the world of nature and over the world of our work. And it seems to be this latter
0: point, doesn't it, the world of work that was really made an impression on Simon Peter. After all, when you think about it, Simon Peter had already heard Jesus preach with authority. He'd already seen Jesus drive out demons with authority and silence them. He'd already seen Jesus heal his own mother-in-law in in his own home with authority. And and he he healed her immediately and, and, and completely. And yet it was here in the world of work. The world with which Simon Peter was most familiar. The world in which he had knowledge and experience and wisdom and and authority the world in which he felt comfortable and was he felt in control it was in this world his world that he is blown away by jesus it is here in a fishing boat in his fishing boat no less on the sea of galilee that he learns and experiences something about the greatness of jesus and something about the smallness And sinfulness
1: of himself. So we read in verses 8 to 10a. When Simon Peter saw this.
0: He fell at Jesus' knees. Remember Jesus is seated seated on the boat. Sitting on the boat. Depart from me Lord. Go away from me Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions. All the crew were astonished. At the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons
1: of Zebedee, Simon's partners. John Calvin, the reformer
0: in Geneva in the 16th century, has written, It is certain that man, and he means here mankind, humanity, it is certain that man never achieves a clear knowledge of himself unless he has first looked upon God's face. It is certain that man never achieves a clear knowledge of himself unless he is first looked upon God's face. How much of God's face did Simon Peter see in the face of Jesus? I don't know. It was a learning process for Simon Peter. But at the very least, Simon Peter knows that God is at work through Jesus. But I suspect that Simon is already beginning to see more than that because he calls Jesus, Lord, go away from me, Lord. Not just Master, Lord. And he falls at Jesus' knees. Jesus sitting in the boat. Did he? I wonder, did he fall among the fish, you know, flapping? <laughs> the fish flapping around in the bottom of the boat. And Simon didn't care about the fish. All he knows is that he is in the presence of a man like no other. And Simon has seen God at work through Jesus and has become aware, acutely aware, painfully aware, devastatingly aware of his own smallness and sinfulness and unworthiness. In the light of the
1: truth about the God he has seen in Jesus, he has learned and sees the truth about himself. It's true,
0: isn't it, that the bright light of the sunshine, when the sun comes shining through the windows, it shows up how dirty our windows really are. Even when we think the windows aren't too bad, when the bright light of the sun hits them, we see all the dust and dirt. In the same way, the light of God's power and holiness shows
1: us how small we really are and how sinful we really are. So let me. Ask you, as I ask myself, do we know the truth about ourselves?
0: Do we have that clear knowledge of ourselves because we have looked upon the face of God in Jesus Christ? We see we see examples of this all through Scripture, not just here with Simon Peter. We see it in Job. If you know the story of Job and all the suffering that that poor man endured... What happens at the end of the story is that Job was blown away by a vision of God's greatness and glory. And how does Job respond? My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job chapter 42, verses 5 and 6. I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Or how about Isaiah in the temple? In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah has a vision of the Lord high and lifted up, high and exalted, seated on a throne. The seraphim are crying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. What is Isaiah's response? Does he tweet about it? Does he post it on Instagram? Does he do a podcast? Does he write a book about the day I saw
1: the Lord? No, he says, Woe to me! Woe! I am a man of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. I am ruined. True self knowledge comes from a true knowledge of God.
0: And I know we have to be careful when we're talking about self esteem, because many people struggle with very low and poor self esteem, but the gospel, the gospel, We have to beware, folks, of the false gospel of a false self-esteem. What do I mean by that? The false gospel says this. This is the gospel according to L'Oreal. God loves me
1: because I'm worth it. No. God loves me and God loves you because God is love.
0: Because God is love. And the good news of the gospel is that God loves us even though we are unworthy sinners. That's the gospel.
1: He loves us because he is love, and even though, despite the fact that we are unworthy sinners.
0: And that means when Simon Peter thinks that Jesus should go, that Jesus needs to go, go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. What does Jesus say? Yeah, okay, Simon Peter, I I need to go. No. Verse 10 and 11, Jesus says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, Simon, the sinner. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. Uh, Daryl Bock, who's one of the commentators in Luke's gospel, says this. When Simon Peter encountered God's power, he thought Jesus must leave. Because the teacher was in the midst of sinners. But Jesus taught Peter that sinners who turn to God
1: are the very people God can use the most. The people God can use the most. So this is Jesus' gracious refusal. Do you see that? It's a gracious
0: refusal. Depart from me, Lord. Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinner. No.
1: Jesus says, I'm not going anywhere. You're coming with me. I'm not leaving. I have work for you to do, Simon.
0: Yes, I know your weaknesses. I know your sin. But the reason I have come into this world is to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. The good news that the kingdom of God belongs to sinners like you. To people like you. Sinners who cry out to me in weakness and despair and discover in me, as you will discover, even by this, even by what I'm doing now, Simon, you will discover that I'm full of grace
1: and mercy and generous love. A love that covers all your sins. And it is it is this generous grace and mercy and love that will lead
0: Jesus ultimately to the cross. To die for people like Simon Peter and people like you and people like me. And Jesus dies for our sins on the cross so that he can say to you and say to me, there is a place in the kingdom of God for sinners. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. There is a place for sinners like you in the kingdom of God. There is even work for you to do in the kingdom of God. Oh, it will not always mean leaving your home
1: or leaving your work, but for some it might. But it will always mean these three things with which I close. Firstly, a willingness to trust me and obey me, whatever I call you to do, verse 5. Secondly, a willingness to humble yourself before me, knowing that you need me much more than I need you. Verse 8. And then thirdly, a willingness to follow me and give up everything for me in order to go with me. Verse 11. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the revelation, the
0: disclosure of your greatness and your glory and goodness in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, for his authority over the world of nature and the world of work, but more than that, that he is the Christ who has come into the world to call sinners to repentance, sinners to follow him, that he's come to live and to die on the cross so that people like Simon Peter people like ourselves, when we catch a glimpse of our sinfulness and our utter unworthiness, know that we are loved and we are welcomed into the kingdom of God and into the service of the King. Lord, help us to show a willingness to trust you and obey you, whatever you call us to do. Help us to show a willingness to humble ourselves before you, knowing that we need you much more than you need us. And in fact, you don't need us, but you choose to use us. And then finally, Lord, help us to show a willingness to follow you and give up everything for you in order to go with you, knowing that it is the one who loses his life who will find it
1: and keep it for eternity. In Jesus' name, amen.